Welcome to the MongoDB Podcast. My name is Shane McAllister, and as ever, we're happy to have you join us for another episode, which is another podcast in our live recordings from mongodb.local London. .locals are in-person, single-day events filled with keynote talks, educational sessions, customer stories, and much more. And we will be touring these again in 2023. So do keep an eye out on the MongoDB website and socials for more details. At .local London back in November, I had some key MongoDB personnel join me as my guest on the podcast. On this episode, we speak with not one, but three guests, all solutions architects with MongoDB. A solutions architect's role is to help our customers use MongoDB in the best way. And our topics today run through the principles of data modeling, our newly announced relational migrator tool, and client-side field-level encryption. As this is a live episode recorded on site, please do forgive the elements of background noise that creep in over the guests. We tried to reduce it as much as possible, but it's still there. First up, we have James Miles, a senior solutions architect. James talks to us about the principles of data modeling, the considerations to take into account in defining your data model, and he outlines how that can evolve over time and the reasons for why and how your data may change and evolve. Let's hear from James. So my name is James Miles. I'm a senior solutions architect at MongoDB based out of the UK. I've been in Mongo for about a year now. It's my first .local. It's great to be here. Excellent. And you're just hot off your talk here at MongoDB.local London, which was the principles of data modeling. How did that go? Yeah, that's right. It was a, it was a great great talk. It was um, room was absolutely full, which was great to see. Everybody with the database understands the importance of data modeling, um, but not everybody takes the time to yeah. do it properly or understands what my current needs are might not meet my future needs. So talk to us about data modeling and the best principles for it. Yeah, I mean, the point of it was is I wanted people to understand a few things. One of them was why do you need to model in a NoSQL database? Mm -hmm. Like, isn't the point of a NoSQL database that you throw data at it in a flexible format? And I was challenging that idea. And for simple use cases, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we model for constraints. You know, there are things we need to do. We need to shard the environment. We need to have performance. Is it a read-intensive workload? Is it a write-intensive workload? And, and that very much changes the shape of the model and how you build it. And I was just showing people how that would look in a relational world versus a MongoDB world mm -hmm. and talking about some of the practices that we've, we've learned about and set out for them. Okay. And what are the key tips you would have in, in those first conversations that you would have with somebody about data modeling? Where, where, where do you start with them? Well, well, first of all is to change your mindset. So in a relational world, you have your data, you normalize it, and you build tables. It's fairly rigid in what you can do. Whereas what you do in MongoDB is actually you look at the workload, you identify what's the application actually going to do, how do we need the data to work, and then you build a data model behind that. You build the data model bespoke for the application needs, which means you can optimize for what your application needs to do. And what if I don't have a good grasp of what my application is going to need in terms of data? What if I'm a startup and I'm going to be a unicorn and you know I'm, I'm there, I'm deciding I'm looking after this segment of the market and all of a sudden I pivot and I do something else. How does that? Yeah, well, with MongoDB, you have the flexibility. You are not constrained. The data model is best practice, but you can evolve it over time with no downtime, which is another thing I spoke about. In a relational world, if you change your data model, ultimately, you have to bring the database down to then make any changes. Whereas in MongoDB, what you can simply do is make the change as you learn about it and then move it into production without any downtime. 
And we're so used to that. You know, lots of services we subscribe to and, and have accounts with, say, there's a window of maintenance and there's a closure. So are you saying that you don't necessarily need to do that at all anymore? That would be a thing of the past. Uh, no, that's absolutely right. I mean, there, there are still times where you might need to go down for maintenance, but not because of your database. And that's the key, because database downtime can often grow to unpredicted levels. What if we can't migrate the data? What if we can't get back, back online? Whereas there's always going to be an element of bringing the application down but that might be a five minute change. Potentially, if you use a load balancer, you have no downtime, but at least your database isn't the limiting factor. Whereas with the relational world, you do have to bring the database down. You also bring the application down, and both of those can lead to a whole weekend of outage for your customers. Constant changes in data and modeling and, and scale and infrastructure and things like indexing and sharding. Yeah. How do they all come into play then in your considerations for your data model? Well, I mean, it's good you point those out. Those are all the considerations I was telling people to work around. Does my data fit a JSON-like schema? Do I have the right data in there to shard? Do I have a key that is ready for my sharding strategy or do I need to implement that myself? And these are things that you will evolve as you do it. What I wanted to highlight to people really were MongoDB is an evolving platform and its features and functionality are changing over time. So you don't just do your data model once, but actually you evolve it over and over again. So it's important to document your assumptions and document the reason why you're doing your modeling. Mm -hmm. So you qualify it, you quantify it, and then you do your model. And then at that point, you can go back and iterate on it. Mm -hmm. And that's the key is you don't just do it and then leave it, but yes. actually it will evolve with your application. And what are the common pitfalls you've seen or the common mistakes people might have made without having this conversation, this discussion about the principles of data modeling? What would be the common mistakes you would, you would kind of encounter on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, there's, there's two really common ones that I see. And actually, it's the two extreme ends of the spectrum that I was presenting about today. One, you see MongoDB and think, that's super flexible. I'm just going to throw all my data into a document. Mm -hmm. And then you wonder why the performance isn't right. Mm -hmm. So you almost get a bit too carried away with the flexibility. On the flip side, I often see people coming from relational world and they'll just migrate their tables to MongoDB collections and then join it together. But it's not designed to work like that. So somewhere in the middle is the best fit and that will depend on your workload. But those are the two pitfalls are assuming you are too far on either side. And how about the lift from the relational world into the document world that MongoDB occupies? Is, you know, in terms of the modeling approach, it's, it's the same but different, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's the same but different. It's the, the order in which you do it and the flexibility in what you can then get as your outcome. With the relational world, you will do your workload identification, you will change your model, but there's only so far that you can change your model. Like at the end of the day, you can't put an array or a list into a single row or a column. It just doesn't work that way. So there are things that using MongoDB where it unlocks the potential and you need to start changing your mindset about how you do that modeling and what is available to you and then using that to its best ability. Okay, I think your talk also touched on data lakes. A data lake is where you store the data that is legacy, is historical data that you do need to query and you need it available. But how in MongoDB are we helping people in, in that respect? Yeah, I mean, it's actually something we've covered quite a bit today as well. So in our keynote uh, with Mark Porter, we covered this as well. It's fantastic to show people. Uh, we've got automatic archiving in MongoDB. It's called online archive, and it means that with one collection, you can automatically create a trigger or a flag or a timestamp to archive your data, but not lose queryability. You don't need to add a second driver. You don't need to add a second connection to your application. You simply query your MongoDB API, and you can bring the archive data in from cold storage. I'm, I'm considering MongoDB, I want to learn more. Where's the best place to go? Our documents, our developer center, where, where would you send people? Yeah, I mean, first place to go absolutely is the university. 
So MongoDB University, which can be found at university.mongodb.com, so really easy, has great self-paced courses, but we have to go for ourselves as solutions architects. Mm -hmm. So if it's good enough for us who are having to you know, live and breathe MongoDB, it really is a great introduction, and they have videos, there are exam questions, and actually at the end of it, there's certification if you want. And it's completely free, so definitely worth looking at. YouTube is a great resource as well. There's a lot of, I mean, MongoDB has so many millions of users that people are creating content for it, so you can learn a lot from them. And turning up to events like this, I mean, we're all talking about it today, all day, so come into next year and you'll learn a lot. And speaking of events like this, did you have any interesting conversations or meet anybody on the show floor that you know, kind of piqued your interest or had a problem that you want to delve a bit deeper into? Yeah, quite a few actually after my talk, but one really stood out from a very notorious or notable company, I should say. Okay. Very exciting. He saw my talk and said, I've got a problem with SQL Server. We have 70 tables and it's an absolute nightmare. We just cannot manage the data. And what you showed me today was what I saw as the solution. So when can we talk? And so we've got a call booked in this week and we'll pick it up from there. So it's brilliant to have that kind of discussion with someone where we are solving a real problem for them off the back of a talk that he attended. Well, I, I think that in itself, if that comes to fruition, it's worth the show and, and the talk yeah. on its own. Right? Yeah, and I spoke to my colleagues and we've all had the same outcomes from our talks. So, you know, if all of us get one more person we speak to and we help one more person with a problem each, it's been a real success. I think that's the good thing. And I know that from the talks that I was involved in earlier, you know, having our customers come and talk about the problems that they've solved and how MongoDB has helped them. Of course, there's a focus on that, but it's really interesting not to just hear from MongoDB people all the time, to bring our customers to an event like this, to give them that showcase that they can see, well, if it works for them. Yeah, yeah. well, my, one of my customers is here today. It was originally the reason I signed up to come, and then I got assigned a talk as well, which was very exciting. But um, no, so Jaguar Land Rover were here speaking about a really exciting initiative, how they've you know, broken the mold and completely innovated and actually saved themselves loads of money. And they've spoken about that today. And the room was absolutely full. Loads of people were interested. I saw people with their phones taking photos of the slides. So great engagement. And it was great to see them there talking about it passionately after going through the whole process with me. Excellent. Well, it sounds as if it's been super successful, your talk, and it's a pleasure to meet you, James. Thank you so much for dropping by and talking to us on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Many thanks to James. Lots to learn and some great insights there. Sticking with the theme of how your data is structured, next up we have Anand Sangani. Anand talks to us about the newly announced MongoDB Relational Migrator, which Mark Porter, MongoDB CTO, also talked with us about in episode 145, so do go back and find that. Anand details how the relational migrator makes it easier for people to work with data, particularly legacy relational technologies and also the challenges they face moving off a relational stack. Let's join Anand. So my name's Anand Sangani. I'm, I'm part of the solution architecture team. Uh, and, and my job is really to try and help articulate the value that Mongo brings to the customer, understand their challenges, um, both from a business and a technical level, mm -hmm. and then really help them understand you know, where Mongo can help them and also where they can't. So just, just guide them in the best way to try and overcome some of the challenges they have in order to meet a business problem. Okay, how long have you been a solutions architect at MongoDB? Um, so I have been at MongoDB now for nearly three years, um, and it feels a lot longer, but that's <laughs> life at MongoDB. That's life, that's life under COVID as that's well, life too. in general, I've got to say. It has, say, been, it has yeah. been very long. Yeah, it was interesting, yeah. And tell us, Anand, you're here today at 
dot local London. I know you've got a talk later on, so we have the pleasure of getting you before this talk, and I'm sure it would be a superb success. What are you talking about, and what's the, the, the you know, kind of what are you trying to take the audience through in your presentation later? So my talk is on the relational migrator. So the relational migrator is a, is a new tool that we've that we've built. Mm -hmm. um, and as with all things MongoDB, you know, when we look at what we try and do. We really try and make lives easy for people that want to work with data. And you know, we've got one of the leading databases that kind of help there. We've got a whole new way of modeling data, which makes it simpler. Um, but the challenges that people face today is, you know, it's all good and well saying, hey, look, this is MongoDB. It's brilliant. Look at how flexible and versatile it is. But you've got a lot of customers and a lot of people who have legacy relational technologies that they mm -hmm. want to move out of. Um, so my talk is really you know, trying to help them understand what are the challenges that they're going to face as they um, you know, start to look to migrate from a, uh, from a relational stack. And this could be all the way from you know, understanding the benefits of moving off. So why would you want to move off? Okay. Um, and then why to MongoDB? And then we'll talk about the tool that we've built that will actually help them in the process of you know, defining what the MongoDB document model should look like based on what you have in your relational schema. Um, and I've got a, a demo of the tool as well so they can see uh, you know, and get a feel for what it's like using it. And the whole purpose is really to try and simplify the migration process um, and help make it more successful. Okay, so before we talk about the relational migrator, what are some of the key concerns that you hear being a solutions architect, going out there meeting customers who are on a relational database, what are their main concerns? Is it just that it's going to take them forever and they don't understand it? Is it, you know, what is the document model and, and understanding getting their head around that? Yeah, so I think I think the main concerns are really, I mean, there, there are multiple concerns. So, um, you know, fundamentally, um, you know, you've got people who are uh, using a legacy technology and, and, and the relational database just happens to be one piece of it. And it's something that they've kind of evolved over time and they've, you know, they've, they've, they've had it from day one and now they're in a position where they've recognized it's slowing them down. And day so one could be a long time ago day for one some could of have these been very historical databases. Exactly, right? exactly. So when you, when you think about how long these databases have been around, day one could be, you know, <laughs> I hate to think. <laughs> um, but. The, the, the problem there is then, you know, they don't want to rock the boat. It's a very difficult thing to understand, you know, why they should migrate off. So if you've got something that's kind of sat there um, and, you know, it's been working quite happily, why should you change it? Um, so then it's really trying to get them to realize, okay, so it's all good and well working as it is, but what's it doing to help you evolve your business? Mm -hmm. You know, the market's moving at a ridiculous pace. Um, your business requirements are going to change in order to keep up with the market, otherwise you're not going to stay relevant. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a happy state place thinking, yeah, my technology is okay, it's been working this way for years, why do I want to change it? The question I have is really, you know, how are you meeting your business requirements using that technology that hasn't changed forever? Okay. Um, okay. And fundamentally, it comes down to, you know, how quickly can you develop um, how quickly can you, you know, add new features, satisfy requirements mm -hmm. in order to satisfy where your business wants to go? And in some instances here, are you also talking to people who are on-premise hosting and you're trying to over, you know, not only talk to them about moving from a relational database, but also moving to the cloud perhaps? 
exactly exactly so you know everybody wants to stay relevant mm-hmm. um and and i mean that from a from a personal perspective as well. so we talk to a lot of people a lot of developers who want to be working on the latest technology the latest things and you know, the cloud has been around for a while now. Um, you know, we, we can no longer say, yeah, the cloud is this new, this brand mm. new sexy mm. thing. Look at it. It's been around forever. It's been around for a while. Um, and all the innovation is happening by the cloud providers. The hypervisors are coming out with, you know, phenomenal services, you know, things like recognition in AWS to do image processing and, and things that you can really, um, you know, just see the power behind. So people want to play with cloud native technologies. Um, and businesses are looking at ways to be more agile, be more efficient, uh, to provide a high level of resiliency, uh, you know, to be able to scale to meet their demands without having to pay an enormous upfront, upfront expense mm-hmm. to buy machines for the Black Friday weekend that they're going to see this high load only for those big machines to be sat there idle forever. So the businesses have a good driver. Uh, the individuals who work on the technology has a good driver. Um, so, you know, holistically we see there's a huge appetite for people to move to the cloud. So when we talk about migration, you know, we need to look at what do you want to migrate from into? Um, you know, you want to go from your on-premise self-managed environment to something which gives you more elasticity, mm-hmm. more versatility, mm-hmm. more scalability. All, all the illities come into play here, right? So you just got to say, what do I want? Yeah, I need that. And you get that with the cloud. Okay. And typically, or maybe this is how long is a piece of string. When you get started with a customer who's got a relational database and you're trying to migrate them across, I would imagine that takes quite a while, not only between the change in, in technology plus environment, but also maybe procurement and everything else that's associated. Exactly. So it's, it's a, I mean, you're right, it depends. It depends on the complexity of the system that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. It depends on the complexity of the underlying schema that has evolved into whatever it is. Um, and, you know, our advice would always be, let, let's, let's, let's look at this as a modernization exercise. Um, because um, it'd be very easy for customers to say, I want to move to the cloud, so I'm going to take what I've got and I'm going to deploy it to the cloud. Job done. <laughs> but it's not. You know, all you've done is taken something really bad and you've put it into something that's modern, yes. but your stuff is still, still really bad. Yeah. So you know, we need to really look at, look at the problem statement as, um, right, if you're going to move this, then let's, let's take a step back and let's talk about what your application is doing because I, I can guarantee you the application is doing something very different or the requirements of the application today are very different than what the requirements were when you first built it. Mm, of very highly likely that's the case. So we then start looking at, right, so how can we help you evolve this application to give you what you want today in a way that's gonna be far more efficient, far more progressive for you to be able to then implement that future requirement that's gonna come in the door. And that requires a little bit of data modeling. So we look at what your data models look like and we look at what that would look like to mm-hmm. uh, to move to a technology like MongoDB. But it also requires a look at your code because one of the challenges that we have with people on relational technology, um, you know, particularly when you think, look at things like Oracle databases, you're going to be, you know, you're going to have a lot of stored procedures, business logic that's actually running on the database, mm-hmm. which, you know, in my opinion, isn't a good place to run because you can't scale. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we really start looking at, right, how can we modernize your architecture beyond just the technology? 
you know, why don't we decouple your business logic, put them into a containerized microservices environment, allow that to scale as, as and when you need to, you know, and, and really modernize their entire stack holistically as part of the process. Okay, so you're covering a huge range of areas there. Obviously, you're helping them with performance, you're helping them with scale, probably costs as well too, if they're on-prem and they've got DBAs looking after all of that, et cetera, et cetera, as well too. But talk to me about the relational migrator. Uh, how does that work in, and how does that help in this, you know, take the pain away from this migration? Okay, so so the relational migrator really helps in a, in a couple of areas. So, you know, in, in my talk, I'll talk about the different stages of a migration project. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so very briefly, you, you know, you want to identify the applications that you want to migrate, and we can help with that. Um, you then want to look at the data models that you have and, and look at how you'd migrate that from your current state to the to the future state on this new technology. Um, you then look at what you do with your with your source code, with your you know with all the application logic and stuff you have, and how you migrate that. And then you have a final stage of actually moving the data. Okay. So the relational migrator is a tool that we've built that helps you with the second and the fourth stages of those of those things. So so the second stage is really like, this is your current relational model. Mm -hmm. So the tool is intelligent enough to point to your database. So you connect to your database mm -hmm. and it will discover the schema, you know, based on all those relationships that, that you have in the database. Regardless of how historic or how old that might be, it exactly. can still do that level of discovery. It can do that. So you can, it'll, it'll pull in all your tables, it'll identify the relationships, and it will present that data to you in a really nice ER diagram, so an entity relationship diagram, which you can visualize this is what your schema looks like today. And you can imagine how complex that could be. Um, so you can do that by pointing to your database, or you can actually point to a file. So you know, a lot of, a lot of organizations have um, data definition language scripts. So DDL scripts are effectively you know, what, how you describe your, your schemas. So you know, create table, column X, Y, Z, that kind of stuff. So you can also point to those files to load in that information. Once you have that information within this tool, you have a um, essentially a, a workspace where you can describe what your MongoDB model should look like. And this allows you to refactor some of the, the basic principles of you know how would you describe how would you define your relationships mm -hmm. in a document model? Mm. Classic example, if you have um, a table, a parent-child table like orders and order lines mm -hmm. or order items, you know, relational databases you would have a parent-child with a relation with a one-to-many relationship. In MongoDB, you may choose to embed the order lines within your orders collection, so you have an array of objects. Um, not always as simple as that. You know, we really do look at what the access patterns are and, and what you want to do the data before you actually recommend these types of principles. But you know, ways of actually modeling data, you either embed it or you link it. Mm -hmm. There's still the two ways. But if you're embedding it, then this tool will allow you to define a schema um, again, using that entity relationship, relationship diagram to say, right, I now want my order lines table embedded as an array of objects within my orders mm -hmm. table, which in MongoDB is a collection. Um, and you can specify whether you want all the fields, you can choose which fields you want to reference or not reference. Um, so you have real control over what you want that MongoDB document to look like. Okay. So that's kind of step one. Step one is really, what do you want that data model to look like in your future state technology? So I imagine in doing this, well, depending on how old the original database was and how it was set up and you know how it was put together, 
I would imagine there's a huge performance gain simply from the analysis of it, simply from the deduplication of fields and data, et cetera, as well, too, and tables and records. So this is an exercise that I would say once you get involved with the client, there's a, like a wow moment with them perhaps as well when they use the relational migrator and they can see their old schema and what it might look like in a document model. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the wow moment would have happened before. Okay. Right, because okay. You know, there, there has to be a decision process as to why MongoDB. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we need to educate them almost in terms of saying, look, you do realize there's better ways of modeling data. Now, I mean, the, the number of conversations I have with customers where they go, yeah, I need a relational technology because my data is relational. Mm, yeah, right? they're stuck in that mindset. Right? It's, and, and, and my response there is, yeah, of course it is. All data is relational. Mm. Your data has relationships. That's the world we live in. You know, everything has a relationship. And it it's, doesn't mean you have to model it in a way that's, you know, built and designed in the 1970s. Mm. I don't, I'm not denying that data has relationships. It's how do you represent those relationships in a way that can be easily added, created, and easily mm -hmm. read? Mm -hmm. That's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to make it more efficient for you to be able to read and write your data. And by efficiencies, I'm talking about, you know, ultimately it's cost of compute. Mm -hmm. You know, how much is it going to cost per CPU operation for you to fetch that data? Yeah, and I think, look, I think you're probably pushing an open door then with some people once you've got to that stage with them, when you realize that the performance, the scale, and, and the reduction in overall costs. I think we could probably get a proper full long podcast episode with you, but for, for now, this has been super interesting and best of luck in your talk later on, and we will certainly get you back in hand. It's been great. Awesome, thank you. Many thanks to Anand. I'm fascinated about how the relational migrator works and I look forward to playing with it myself. What also caught my attention was how Anand discusses how the solutions architects work with clients about modernizing architecture from not just a technical point of view, but also to stay relevant and meet clients' growing business requirements. Lastly, Pierre joins me to talk about encryption. In particular, MongoDB's client-side field-level encryption in a multi-cloud environment. Pierre discusses how MongoDB's approach helps manage encryption keys in a cloud-agnostic way, and we talk about queryable encryption. Let's hear from Pierre. So my name is Pierre. I'm a solutions architect here at MongoDB. I've been here for almost two years, or actually more than two years. Uh, before joining Mongo, I was at AWS for a couple of years. I've been working in the field more than 20 years. I'm a Java developer at heart and been doing different things, hands-on stuff. Uh, and an essay here at Mongo, I'm actually helping customers, you know, utilizing Mongo in the best way and making data stunningly easy to work with. Excellent, excellent. So you have exposure really kind of at the coalface with what customers are trying to build and how they're using MongoDB and how to get the most out of MongoDB. Exactly, yeah. So I'm trying to help the customer being you know, intellectually honest mm -hmm. and helping them. Not just, you know, if MongoDB is not the right choice for them, I will also tell them that. Sure. You know, it's, it's be able to be like a advisor, a trusted advisor for, for the customer, asking and when they are asking technical questions, be available, you know, solve the issues. Go the extra mile, I would say. Mm -hmm. That's my way of working. You know, making the impossible possible. I know it sounds like cliche, but uh, that's no, what I like. No, like from all of 
of the solutions architects that I would have met and talked to, they all are of the same opinion. Like, MongoDB has to be a good solution for that client. Exactly. You're not yeah. just trying to get a sale. You're trying to make exactly. sure that you either make it more performant, you make it easier for developers, yeah. you probably reduce costs in the long term as well, too. Yeah, totally agree with that. Yeah, And if you, if you don't have that trust and you lose that trust, it's really hard to regain that trust. You, mm -hmm. So it's, you know, my focus is to do what's best for the customer, yeah. So you had a talk earlier today in here at MongoDB.local London on client-side field-level encryption in multi-cloud environments. Tell us about that talk. I know you had some slide hiccups. We won't go there, but the rest of it, how did it go? Yeah, I think it went pretty well. I, and I think still the hiccups, it's a good way to cope with those situations also. So that was the first time for me to have that kind of hiccups. But, uh, you know, the audience was really supportive. I met some of them outside the room. They come up and say high five, talk to me and say it was a good talk. And the talk is really about how you can actually manage encryption keys in a cloud agnostic way. So if you have a multi-cloud strategy, if your company is using GCP, AWS and Azure, have deployments in all of those clouds. How can you encrypt the data in a transparent way, in a standardized way? So my talk was about that and how you can use actually HashiCorp to achieve that, HashiCorp Key Vault. So we heard in the keynote this morning with Sahir and Mark too about one of the last barriers for people moving to the cloud was encryption. So we've got the historically the financial institutions are going, we want to be on-premise, we need to know where our data is, we need to be in charge of our data. So client-side fuel level encryption breaks down that barrier to be to have Exactly. It to so it's to be able to actually secure the data on the client before it lands in the in the cloud, yeah? So, you, so even the cloud provider can't see your data, yeah? So that's, you know, the game-changing thing. We had support for that with CSF Lee, but with querible encryption, we're actually making it even more, I would not say more secure, but making it more uh, flexible, yeah? So we, we can actually support range queries, prefix queries. We don't not just need to do equality matches, which means that it's opened up a wild, uh, wild base of use cases, like HR use cases. I can give you an example. You want to search for a social security number. Social security numbers are sensitive data. Totally. Yeah? Yes. So how would you do that if you don't encrypt? Then it's in clear text. But with querible encryption, we can say that I just want to find the four lost digits of your social security number. Okay. And it will just find that for you and return that record for you. Earlier, we could not do that. We have to get the whole data set back yes. and do it in the application level. Yeah? Yes. And then it's decrypted and you have it in clear text, which is much vulnerable. Yeah? It's not an area that I could claim in any way to be an expert on, but I saw the examples earlier on the keynote, and I can see how it opens up a whole new, I suppose, exposure to institutions that did not want to move or to migrate. A whole, whole new host of opportunities for MongoDB. Of course, yeah. They are, they are, they are you know, afraid of you know, breaches, getting data, and still, you know, when we have conversations with customers, they're still, you know, we cannot put data in the cloud mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. contractual reasons, yes, you know, yes. and this is all, you know, historically it has been like, but I think when this game changing functionality with query encryption will make open doors, yeah, will open doors that makes it more acceptable to actually for this financial institution to move. Yes. And I hear at the end of the keynote too that we've open sourced our methodology around this as well too, which is superb because we don't want to say we own all the keys, we own, we are the ultimate gatekeeper. You, again, as you say, it's available in multi-tier cloud environments. So to open source how we've gone about this is, is crucial. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, the open sourcing is, I think, is good because it gives uh, visibility. 
for people who want to actually review our technology and see if it's secure enough. And I would also say that the, the CSFLE and also Querble Encryption are, you know, wetted and reviewed by third parties that we don't control. So it's a, and it's also you know a cryptographic expert and you know, doctors in within the field that, uh, and we actually have people joining MongoDB that has done groundbreaking research in this area. Amazed to be able to talk about these topics, and I think the open sourcing makes it, it makes it easier for other you know, vendors to actually use the technology. But I think one important thing here is that the open source version. The, and I'm now sounding a bit salesy here, <laughs> but the open source version is not automatic encryption. Yeah, okay. you need to do that explicitly yourself. Yeah, but mm -hmm. with our solution, you know, with the CSFLE Querble Encryption, it's you just define a JSON schema. Like okay. these are the fields that you need to encrypt, and we'll take care of that for you. If you use the open source, you need to build that yourself. And key management has always been a problem when it comes to security and stuff. So what about? If you need to change it, what if it, key rotation, etc. Talk to me about that. Yeah, sure. So with with our new release, um, actually in MongoDB world, uh, we actually released the functionality which makes it possible for you, if you have a breach key, master key, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you can actually renew that key, and it will also renew all of the what we call data encryption keys, which is the keys that are used to encrypt your fields. So okay. let me do a short uh, one minute or thirty seconds. And an encryption no, terminology. Dude. Yes, I, I think the audience, obviously, you know, this is a, a super niche area, but everybody is exposed to data leaks and breaches and passwords getting out and whole accounts yeah. getting out. So, whilst people might not know the mechanisms of it, everybody's interested in this space. So, please, yeah, yeah, do tell us. Okay, cool. So, when you encrypt, what we use, we call something envelope encryption. Mm -hmm. And envelope encryption is the practice where you have a root key, a master top level key, which we commonly calls customer master key and that key is used to encrypt something called data encryption key and the data encryption key is the key that's used to encrypt the fields in your document and because we have a two level here it's easy to rotate the keys you just rotate the top level key which will then ring master key that will re-encrypt the data encryption key I know it sounds a bit you know, all over the place, but... Uh, this is and how quickly does that process happen if it needs to It doesn't happen? affect, I don't have any, you know, it depends of course of your size of the, size of your data encryption mm -hmm. keys, mm -hmm. because it's not, re remember, it's not re-encrypting the data, no. it's re-encrypting the data encryption key, yeah. and the key material that's inside the data encryption key is the same, yeah? Okay. So that's, you know, if you, if you would re-encrypt all of the documents, that, that will take a lot of time. Again, going back to the barriers being removed, my concern about managing keys and rotating keys is also removed. Then. Yes, yes, we have, you know, we have all of the features, I would say, and we can, of course, we can improve. But I think one more aspect here, not just the key rotation, but that's really cool, is key migration. So if you think about organization doesn't want to be lock down to one or lo avoid locking mm. yeah mm -hmm. so if you start out with AWS today sure, sure. and then you realize that you know the purchase department tells you well we got a better deal at uh, mm. Azure mm. we want to move everything <laughs> so before it was really hard to do that if you have uh, encrypted your data mm. then you needed to decrypt all data and then re-encrypt it and move it to the cloud mm. with, with our migration technology we can actually migrate the data from AWS to KMIP or AWS to GCP or GCP to AWS any way around with one API call with one API and so it remains fully encrypted even yeah. in the migration. Yeah. That's stunning. That's cool, so again, it? another barrier gone yeah, from yeah. So we don't want to go this route because <laughs> it's, it's too much effort and work. So we're making it easier yeah, and course. easier. But they need the to use MongoDB. Well, if they, they could actually use CSFLE and, and um, Querble Encryption if they implement the open source variant, yeah? if they use the open source library. But our 
they need to do the, the migration part and stuff. They need to use MongoDB as a database to support that. Before your talk, you were on the show floor, the expo hall that yeah. we have here with customers and clients. Anything interesting, exciting that came up in those conversations? Was, yeah, I think it's really amazing when you talk to all of these, uh, uh, you know, uh, skilled people that are here at, at the event. Uh, a lot of discussion about Atlas Search and a lot of people also that are surprised that MongoDB is more in the, in the database, mm -hmm. especially Atlas. There was one of the guys I was talking to who said, why is not MongoDB more? What do, why don't we have more market share? Mm -hmm. We should have that. We are, you are actually a developer data platform. He actually used the phrasing I used, yeah? Yes, and yeah, I told, we're trying well, to get everyone to understand. Yeah, that, exactly. Right? And I told him, you know, most people think MongoDB is just a database, but, you know, MongoDB Atlas, I think it was released, correct me if I'm wrong, 2018. Yeah. I think that, about that. And we <laughs> have only had four, yeah. hour, four yes. years, you know, yeah. and we have done a lot in these four years. And so we are, that, that's why we have these events, to be able to promote what we can do and how we can help developers. Atlas search discussions about the data developer platform, about our Realm app services, mobile, edge, edge and mobile, you know, how we can support that with our edge to sync capabilities, you know, offline synchronization, uh, data federation, you know, a lot of, and there was a lot, lot of workarounds also. There was a guy talking to me about how can you do lookups between two databases, yeah? If you want to, like a join in SQL, yeah? So how can you do that with two databases? And we said, mm, well, I don't know. We can, and I also a colleague, no, that's not possible. Wait, I have a solution. Let's use Data Federation to do that. And that was one option, you know, for him to try that out. It's a similar you know? story than one of your colleagues told me earlier as well, too, that, again, he did a presentation, did his talk. Yeah. A potential client came up and said, we have this exact problem. Yeah. And now I kind of think I know how we'll go wow. about doing this. That's so I awesome. think that's the... No, that's the reason to do these local events that of course, are touring yeah. around the world. And obviously we've got MongoDB World as our main event in June in New York all the time. But what you've talked to me, um, Pierre, about encryption, you also did a blog post recently on our developer center. Yes, I did. I actually, I wanted it to be released before .local London. Okay. So I worked together with Cynthia Braun and Kenneth White. Uh, Cynthia is the PM for Corelbo Encryption and also Kenneth is the principal for, they've been really supportive. So re reviewing my content and together with Salman Bassett also. So I published that on the developer relations portal. So my talk I did today is mm -hmm. the blog article. Really. Uh, so when I did this, I did actually the same talk at MongoDB World in New York, and then I rebranded re it and repackaged it, and I said, let's let's do this so more of our community can actually use it, and you know, if they want to try it out, there is some documentation, there is like a step by step sure. to get going instead, start using you know CSFLE, querible encryption easily, you know, without reading all Brilliant. of the well, nitty gritty this has been details. Fascinating. Yeah? So if you want to learn more, we go to mongodb.com/developer. You can find Pierre's article there. I've learned a lot. I still don't fully <laughs> grasp even the, the tip of the iceberg. But Pierre, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Well, that's all from our Dot Local coverage from London. Later on in the year, Dot Locals will return to various cities around the world. So do keep an eye on the MongoDB website for any future Dot Local dates. As usual, please check out the show notes for any links and videos of all the presentations discussed with my guest. Thanks to James, Anand, and Pierre for joining me. Please remember to like and subscribe and leave us a rating. And if you have any comments or feedback, do reach out via email at podcast at So from me, Shane McAllister, and the rest of the podcast team, do take care and thank you for listening.